And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. It's Andrew Morgans here, founder of Marknology, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, entrepreneurship, um, you name it. So here on Startup Hustle, uh before we get into who's my guest today and what we're covering i want to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's episode fullscale.io helping you build software teams quickly and affordably i'm super excited to introduce to you um our guests we're going to be talking about um you know being first to market we're going to talk about just her story we're going to talk about entrepreneurship um trolls we're going to talk about all of it today i think it's going to be a lot of fun um and without further ado krista cotton welcome to the show thank you for having me i'm excited to be here no super excited we were just chatting a little bit before we get the show started like we always do um and have a little bit of synergy between brands we're building between things we've worked on and between even some of the mindset stuff it seems like we're we're both going through together um I love getting to start these shows and before before we start talking about Guapo and you know kind of the reason even like for us connecting um let's talk a little bit about Krista. So um I know Guapo was founded in 2017 but I feel like your story starts before that. Um you know when was your first entrepreneurial memory or maybe when did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or a business owner? So I actually come from a very entrepreneurial family. I grew up in Southwest Georgia in a very small town called Leesburg, Georgia. Um, I don't think we even had a red light until I was in like the second grade. Um, But anyway, so super small town. My dad was an entrepreneur. He started out in banking. And when I was five years old, he founded a grocery anchored commercial real estate portfolio. And I always said, I want to be exactly like my dad. Like every, like you go to school and they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like everyone else is like dentist, doctor. I'm like, dad, that's what I'm going to be. That's Um, funny because (laughs) I was like, my dad is awesome, but I had a crazy upbringing and I was like, I, my dad's awesome, but like, I'm going to be the opposite. My dad, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be in Africa. I don't, you know, so now I'm more like him than ever, probably. Um, But growing up, it was like opposite. So that's interesting. So uh, what is exactly a grocery real estate portfolio? Is that like owning grocery stores or the properties on them or something? Yep. So he bought his first center when I was five and it's basically that you own the property and then all the tenants that are like the anchor tenant, which is the grocery store. And then the sub anchors around them rent from you. And it's, you know, just a a very basic, you know, real estate business model, but he started with one center and then the goal was, you know, five and five turned into 10 and 10 turned into 20. And by the time I graduated from high school, he had 75 ish centers spread across the Southeast in 10 States. And it was 7.5 million square feet of real estate. So it's this massive portfolio. It's headquartered in Columbus. They have about 30 employees and, um, you know, my dad is still the chairman and still runs the business to this day. So, um, came from that background, 
knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, really actually thought I wanted to go in the family business. Like that was really where my head was at. So I went to Auburn University, which is about 45 minutes away from Columbus, where the real estate company is headquartered, so that I could work for the family business and then also be in school at the same time. But Hurricane Katrina hit my freshman year. So I ended up spending a lot of time in New Orleans where we have a lot of property and I'd spent a lot of time here in the summers growing up. I really had an affinity for New Orleans. I actually thought I wanted to go to Tulane for school, but I spent a lot of time here um, helping restore coastal properties that have been decimated by the storm because a lot of these grocery stores have been without power for weeks and in some cases months. It's a very disgusting job. Um, but it made me really passionate about living in New Orleans and bringing the city back and realizing its full potential yeah. after the storm. So once uh, New Orleans was getting back on its feet in 2007, 2008, um, the credit crunch hit, which was another bad situation for real estate. So my dad decided that as a family, we needed to diversify away from just having full real estate holdings. Mm-hmm. So I spent my last two years in college helping my dad open Georgia's first legal distillery since prohibition. Wow. Uh, super fun job, big right turn. Um, he actually saw an article about a craft distiller in Atchison, Kansas named Seth Fox. And okay. he said, you know, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open a distillery. And everyone in our social circle and business circle said it's a midlife crisis. He's not really going to do this, but he got into his car and drove himself to Kansas and hired Seth as a consultant and he did it. So, you know, that was really my first um, foray into, um, entrepreneurship from like beginning to end, like starting a business and like getting it off the ground. Um, I did that with dad, like with the the distillery, like, you know, you know, we're in Kansas. I don't know if we didn't talk about that, but like, yeah, so we're in Kansas city. Um, I am in, I am in real estate in a little bit, like kind of that same thing where we just been wanted to get one property and we do Airbnbs and things like that. But I just had, I had friends, um, this community is small, you know, and uh, yeah. Mean Mule. So Mean Mule is like, they're a fun brand that's all about um, agave. And it's like one of the first distilleries here. Uh, it's not tequila, right? It's agave. agave. But maybe one of the first of its kind. And I've watched yep. him like do it from a very small distillery. He was like renting inside another one and then it's grown and it's grown. Okay. And I have a contract with Boulevard Brewery. So I haven't done the whole process, but I have been along the journey with a friend, a close friend that's like kind of okay. going through the same thing. You get it. Um, it's been cool. So like I did, that's cool that your story brought you out here to Atchison. Um, well, so, so Seth is in Atchison, Kansas, and he has Most Wanted, the vodka brand. So okay. that's who my dad hired. And um, I worked there until I graduated. And then I really wanted to learn a lot about market research and strategy. So I left and moved to New Orleans, which is where I really always wanted to be. I worked in advertising for a branding firm and all of my clients were hospitality and tourism, which I loved. I got the opportunity to work in production um, on Top Chef, the TV show, uh, where I learned a lot and formed a lot of relationships with amazing chefs that have really helped put me on the map and got me started before I really had any credibility. They really helped me get going in the beginning. Krista, that's like, so for anyone listening, like pause there for a second because you're going fast, but you're dropping some some amazing information. Number one, um, you know, being in New Orleans, cleaning it up, getting a passion for the city, getting a firsthand look at your dad building something that hadn't been done in a very long time or like had a lot of obstacles, you know, um, and then kind of knowing what you're, so that's completely different than going into branding and advertising, right? Yep. As someone that's in that space now, 
um, completely different spot, but understanding if you want to do your own thing and you know from an early time that you want to be an entrepreneur, you're like, well, what are all the pieces that I need? Right. right. And so I think that's for anyone listening, I think that's a really big thing. And some early advice I got way before I knew exactly everything I was doing was instead of looking for a second job, they were like, go find a way to make a side hustle. Essentially, that's like furthering your career and what you want to do. Yeah. So instead of going back to bartending, I bartended for six or seven years through college and all of that, where I, I could have I was good at it, could have made it easily side money, you know, kind of thing. I I started freelancing for for marketing and branding and in, in Amazon. And that's what got me here eventually. But it was that first note to go focus on something and spend your extra time on something that's going to be a skill that you need as Correct. you start a business. And like, so I'm hearing you all the things you've done way before you even got to this point, were essentially almost all the areas inside of a business that you need to know um, to execute. So that's really cool. You just went from um the distillery to top chef and branding and marketing and i was like wow that's a big leap um but really cool at the same time well thank you so yeah. that you know that all of that was i was really just always drawn towards like i knew what i was interested in and i knew what i didn't like but i always was drawn towards finding or learning as much as i possibly could because i always knew the end goal was to do my own thing yeah. so you know I, after the Top Chef experience, I consulted for a while. I, I, you know, dabbled and I had like another idea that never really, and it, I had an idea after doing a lot of research, figured out that that probably wasn't the best plan, but you know, failures are a part of the story too. So a yeah. lot of consulting, um, really was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And as I was forming uh, New Orleans Beverage Group, I acquired the El Guapo trademark, um, from a previous owner and really started with a trademark and idea for what I wanted the brand, um, my brand to embody and become. And, you know, really spent probably the first 18 months doing uh, recipe testing, a lot of uh, research and just trying to like really kind of put all the pieces together. And was that something that you were comfortable, not to interrupt, was, it, was that something you were comfortable doing kind of like the research and the recipes and everything because of the distillery work with dad? And like um, bringing that to fruit, knowing how the process went. Yep. And and during my consulting uh, time, like I, I spent a few years kind of trying to really like soul search and figure out what I wanted to do because I knew once I committed, it was like I was in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. I took uh, my first two Psalm exams and I like palate is something I'm very strong in. And I just understood um, the market and it definitely started with the distillery, but also just the, f the food relationships and all the chefs that I know, um, you know, I'm now a James Beard fellow, uh, which has been great, but just all of those connections and the things that I'm interested in, like all intersections just sort of led to recipe development and understanding flavor and palate. Um, and I, and I grew up with a lot of farmers in my family, some of our purveyors that we actually buy stuff from now are family members, Cool, and which is great. And, you know, my parents have a farm. They've been very supportive. They're willing to, you know, plant additional things to help us, you know, shore up our supply chain. But the build, the integration of farmers into our supply chain and building our supply chain where we know as many, when we're, we're working with as many farmers as we possibly can. And then also working with single origin spice importers to bring in the absolute best, highest quality spices that we can is really what sets our product apart. And we know that we're an upper echelon brand. We're more expensive. We are better sourced. And we understand that we're going to be in fine retailers and bottle shops and the whole foods of the world. We're not going to be in the middle to the lower part of the market, but that really was what was interesting to me. And it was trying to figure out a way to marry this. I grew up in a small town. I 
really believe in regenerative, sustainable agriculture and how do I put all that together with a brand and then also, I'm so sorry. You're okay. Archie, the male person came by. Okay. Um, really trying to figure out how to marry sustainability with all of my beliefs and, and have that be nicely packaged in the brand that I was building is really, you know, where Easier I started. Easier said than done. That's, yeah. you know, it's difficult. But every, it's a work in progress. And every single day, you know, we're making more progress on this. But as a full circle moment, you know, there's a lot that's happened, especially in the last six months with us. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, Seth, the original... Uh, distiller from Kansas that was in the Wall Street Journal is actually the engineer that is building my brewery here in New Orleans right now, which is pretty cool. And that's how it works. That really is just how it works. You never know, um, at least what in my journey, it's just been like, I've never known that this puzzle piece would fit over here and bring it full circle and the connections that come um, just from taking action, doing your thing, chasing a dream or chasing a vision or chasing what's, you know, in front of you um, coming full circle and now Seth's working on your stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'll relate. I feel like relationships are the most important part of business. And if you can build relationships, you can truly do anything. True. And I, I think for me, it's come like there wasn't a lot of people listening to me. There wasn't a lot of people like at least in regards to the business model that I was trying to do. Um, there wasn't a lot, you know, there wasn't a lot of relationships to build. Uh, and, and so at the beginning, I do feel like there's this amount that's like, hey, don't don't rely on anyone else. It's not about, oh my God, I'm a network. This person's going to help. I don't, you don't need help. You don't need help. You know, it's go out there and do your thing, become an expert at something, research something, get passionate about it, do your certain level of work. And then you will start attracting the relationships that are the ones for you as you're doing your thing. That's what I believe. Um, If you're not taking any action, you're not doing anything, anyone that's really of value, I don't say value as in the money or anything like that, but the type of people that you want to attract, um, they're, you know, they're just not going to be attracted to that. I don't think that you're going to draw them in. Um, I don't think that you're going to attract um, until you start doing things, you start taking an action and then you'll be surprised like who comes and who you meet and who you connect with. And um, so for me, the relationship part has been almost like there was this, this grind really hard phase. Um, and now it's even more relationships than it ever was before. Um, so, you know, to, to each, I just like to give feedback to anyone that's listening and thinking about like, how do different entrepreneurs get to A to Z? Um, and for some people, it's like their connections have been it from beginning or their relationships from the beginning have been everything in other industries. It's like, you know, make some progress, get that, get that prototype product, you know, or that hero MVP or that, like that first sampling of your good, um, and start just doing what you can. And you'll see like different relationships start to meet you and, and elevate you to the next level or, you know, partner with you in some way. Okay. So, you, we kind of just jumped from, uh, you like, you know, researching and like acquiring El Guapo and, um, acquiring the trademark and then starting to research about ingredients and like, how do you source the best stuff? And like, so let's go to 2017. Like, when did you start selling? When did you start selling your first product? So pretty much immediately we were testing different recipes and it was a, it was the core group of bitters flavors. So, there were maybe nine recipes in the beginning and it was a lot of really 
trying to figure out within the local market what there was an appetite for, where there were holes, and then what was scalable around the country. Because if you've ever been to New Orleans, you know that everything here is rich and over the top. If it's not fried and covered in butter sauce, we don't know what to do with it. And cocktails are the same way. And it's a wonderful part of our culture and and community. But because things are excessive and popular here in New Orleans doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to a cocktail bar in Chicago. So so let's stop there just for a second, because that's actually really big in my world as an e-commerce, you know, agency, as an Amazon agency, the localization piece, Mm -hmm. um, obviously for international reasons. So like selling on Amazon, going international is a big play. It's a big growth lever. Um, you know, a big way to go into a smaller market and be a bigger fish or, um, and if you've already, if you're already executing Amazon well on the U S side, it makes a lot of sense to go to Canada or, but, but understanding that in Germany, they don't care about a lot of fluff. They want very direct, you know, Mm -hmm. communication and messaging. And in Canada, you need, you know, you need to speak to them in French as well as English. Um, it's a respect thing as much as it is a sales conversion thing. And here in Kansas city, um, local pride is super strong and you'll just see a lot of Kansas Cityans wearing Kansas City shirts and you know we're proud about where we are in our hometown our sports teams um you go to St. Louis or you go to Chicago and it's not the same way and it's not that far you know so there's these like localization pieces in the marketing that I think um good to have in mind early uh really good to have in mind early and something that like is being preached very much so in the e-commerce space about as all these brands are trying to expand like guys you can't do the same thing everywhere you have to switch it up okay so i was just dropping that because like that localization piece i wanted to bring that to that for any of my e-commerce listeners listening like we we call it localization um but that's where you were at and that makes a lot of sense because new orleans is its own bird is its own place you know So it's interesting, you know, people love our product and our branding. It's very uh, apothecary in style. It's, you know, we don't even use color on our labels. They're all craft and it's, it's a very vintage, but specific and intentional branding Mm -hmm. move. Um, But it also saves us in money. The black and white printing is a plus highly recommend 10 out of 10. Um, so, you know, we've made smart decisions along the way, but, but really testing out and trying to figure out in different markets, what that would look like. And then also in different environments, because what happens in our very high end James Beard and Michelin starred restaurants and high end hotel hotels that we work with, like the Four Seasons and the Ritz Carlton's and the, you know, in at Little Washington's of the world versus what's going on at a Whole Foods or a fine bottle shop are completely different. So then really trying to figure out by channel what we should be pushing in each place. Um, and well, let's back to- up there. Let's back up. And maybe I derailed us, but you were talking about wanting to know if it could work outside of New Orleans. And I want to, I like the real initial things that you're thinking and what you're doing because you just jumped to uh, Michelin, uh, <laughs> Michelin restaurant, right? And right now we haven't sold anything yet. So you're dropping with so, nine flavors. Well, so what I did, so remember my, my previous job. So I worked in advertising. I worked on Top Chef um, for season 11, which was filmed here in New Orleans, met okay. a lot of amazing chefs. So a few of them championed my brand from the very, very beginning. So at the time, Kelly Fields had Willa Jean, which is a bakery here in New Orleans. Uh, Nina Compton came in second on my season and she left Scarpetta in Miami and moved here to open her first. And now she has a second restaurant, uh, Compare Le Pen and Bywater American Bistro. They were interested and wanted to create a cocktail using our products. Okay. So we would, you know, kind of 
work with our chef friends and bar and restaurant friends. And a lot of them really put us behind the bar and gave us credibility before we deserved it. And at Compare Le Pen specifically, the number one cocktail on that that menu for years and years was made with our rose cordial. And those relationships and also just seeing that logo behind the bar repetitively all over town helped people say, you know, oh, we want the souvenir and it's so great. Um, They would go home and they would order. So New Orleans is a town where it gets a lot of -of out-of-towners coming in, right? So you're getting people from all over the country, the world, really coming into some of these staple places or these like iconic restaurants, seeing your stuff, relating that to New Orleans, I'm sure, even in a way and being like, this is New Orleans, like, let's take this home with this. Okay, awesome. I'm tracking now. Thanks for sharing. No, I think these are just important. Um, Makes a lot of, like, it matters where you are you know, and what you, what tools you have available. And that makes a ton of sense. Um, Kansas city isn't really that place. Maybe if we were on the, if I was releasing some kind of barbecue type of product where that's a lot of people come here to try that and they would be in those restaurants to try that. And, you know, if you had a product that would make sense. Um, okay. So the top shelf thing, the top chef, um, kind of like influencer marketing in a way, or at least, yeah. part, you know, product and placement friends that were really willing to like, do us a solid kind of like, because they loved me. And like, we all, it was more based on, based on relationships than anything else in the beginning. But then when they started using it, it we got a lot of feed up, feedback of like, okay, this really is good. Like mm-hmm. we love you, but this is we great. We also love what you made. Yes. And then we started getting custom requests for doing things and we've dabbled in, in different partnerships. And at this point we actually did develop a cocktail line for Commander's Palace, which is arguably New Orleans most famous restaurant. Um, and T Martin is a legend. She's a wonderful female entrepreneur and a great mentor. Um, but being given opportunities like that, and even you're talking about you in Kansas, I just let this past weekend, Kansas won the men's NCAA basketball tournament here in New Orleans. And yes, and Capital One hired me to do all of their cocktails in their VIP lounges at the Ritz Carlton for the entire four day weekend. So working with the Ritz to come up with custom cocktails that were going to be served in, in this, you know, experience that was being created by, um, by the sponsor of this event. Those are the sorts of opportunities that over the years have built and built and built. And they used to be smaller and more local, but now I get paid to fly all over the country to put on events for different people. And just the relationships that I've been able to build have just propelled us to be larger and larger and larger to the point of where we're now available in 49 states and three countries, which is pretty cool. That's incredible. That's incredible. For the last two, five years. That's pretty awesome. I think. I think it's amazing. Um, and this is a note, but um, I'm pretty involved in the e-commerce industry, the Amazon industry, as far as events and things like that. Um, they're always doing these kind of like get togethers, these masterminds, you know, with these fancy cocktails and I'm uh, flying out to New York or Miami or LA is where like a lot of the, like the, they'll host the conferences or the events. And I definitely got to plug you in to, to some of to some of them. They're always trying to do something fun and unique. And um, I'd love to make that connection. So I like talking as much as I like, this is how I like to do business. So just yeah. make a note and we'll circle back on that. Um, but okay. So that makes so much sense in regards to like, um, how it grew and how it grew so fast was just that it was getting high level exposure early. Yep. So then I got my supplier diversity, um, WBENC, which is basically just a woman owned certification. So I got that in 2019. 
And I wanted to figure out a way to do mass retail with a lower or like less expensive product line that was a lower barrier to entry so that more people could enjoy what we had created. Because as I said before, we are a very well-sourced, expensive product. And I just really thought that there could be a way to open the market to more people because there was a way to make it more affordable. So I got the opportunity to, to pitch to Costco and they told me at the time, you know, fly to Dallas for the day, don't have any expectations. You will probably not hear back for a year. It could be two years, but just come and do this and like tell them what you're doing. So in my head, I had this idea of, you know, this is what I want to do, but we didn't really have it available. So the weekend before, I think I was going on like a Tuesday, the weekend before I started playing around in my kitchen and developed a very rough outline of what a pre-diluted mixers line would be. So the idea is pour it over ice, add booze or club soda if you want a non-alcoholic experience. And all of these were recipes that I had been thinking about and developing while I was pregnant with my daughter the year before. So we put it together. We make some limited batches. We bottle them up. We put them in my suitcase. I fly on my way to Dallas. I pitch my little heart out and I won the deal on the spot. And to this day, I don't think Costco knows they bought something that didn't actually exist. So then I'm coming home and I know that I have, you know, 90 days to get all the FDA regulations, all the paperwork, get this whole thing together. And my whole team is in like a full on sprint to get this done. I can relate to that in so many ways. I can relate to that in so many ways. Uh, The fact though, the difference was you brought, you had something there to show them. I think that that like, you know, that MVP, that prototype I was talking about, right. Which I know the relationship made it came out of order, but it's like, you did something, you had something, um, wasn't perfect. It wasn't, you know, abs- it wasn't amazing yet. You were like putting it together in your kitchen, but you had something, um, you know, to take and then they jumped at it. And I think that that's, you just got to take that like leap. Like, for example, I'm in real estate. We have, um, uh, I have a tiny home container home here in Kansas city. And, so cool. um, the conversation was so much different. Um, cause it's, it, it led to a lot of, um, at least relationships at the very least, much less business opportunities. But I had one and it was done and it wasn't perfect, but like I just brought it over from China. I rehabbed it. Uh, I'm in it right now. It's like a little office. It's been a pandemic office. Um, But I saw how men and women responded to me when I said it wasn't just showing a container that everyone's trying to do container homes, but I had it done. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they're like, you mean you have it done? Like, like, let me see it. And the conversation changed immediately. And I think that there's something, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't this, it wasn't that, but it wasn't just an idea. It was something tangible, you know, and it changed the conversations for me. Um, and I can imagine that, that, uh, how you felt about your product, but then how Costco responded. Um, amazing. Thanks for letting me share that. So, okay. So you had 90 days to deliver on a mass order. I'm sure if it's at Costco, it's, it's a very large order. And something that in e-commerce as these brands scale, I've overscaled brands. We sell too much product and, you know, they don't have the capital to go buy. It's so you know, expensive kind of and it's so hard. Yeah. So we took out, you know, at the time I didn't really qualify and I was so proud. I didn't want to take any money from my parents and I still have not taken a penny from my parents. So it's a big misconception that people think that this was bought and paid for by, you know, family, but that's not how this was bought. That That's not how this was built and that's not what actually happened. But, um, Anyways. We don't owe them any explanations, yeah. just so you know, we don't. Um, it's just funny to me because I hear that a lot and I'm still like, oh, that's so interesting. I wonder how that like 
got out in the universe. But anyway, so you know, so my my version of that is a little bit opposite, but I'll share too since just we're sharing. It's easy for me to say. It's another thing for me to back it up. But I am a white male in the middle of of America, um, you know, and my like my mom's we're as poor as it gets is how I was raised, you know, um, yeah. from Papa Bluff, Missouri, uh, first to get a college degree. Um, you know, I think my family made like combined with they were ministers. So it's a little bit different. But, you know, I think 30K for a family of five. Wow. And there's a lot of there's a big and I'm also come from Africa. So yeah. it's this, it's convoluted story, but people can see me from the outside and, you know, say one thing or there's people that will pipe up or internet trolls or whatever it might be yeah. that will say whatever. Um, and people have no real idea, um, you know, what we all go through. Uh, imagine having a dad that's extremely successful in business. Like think of the insecurities and some of that, like pressure to be like, wow, yeah. like, I don't want to let my dad down or that's different than having um parents that don't care about you at all different kinds of pressures right so everything's different um and there's just like something that i've grown in this at first it was a a very major deal for me um i I don't want to be seen as like how everyone's just looking at me glancing and making an assessment that's not that's not my story and so it became very much like i gotta tell you it's not it's not it's not um and now i'm just like very rarely are the same people talking the ones that will listen anyway they don't have listening skills so we just move on that's the rule okay so we just move on um but so so you have to come up with this funding tell me how tell me a little bit about that like how did how did that happen so at the time we were going to do a test implementation and we knew we were going to get two different weekends and it was going to be four day test sales periods at our local costco here in new orleans so we did the math on what we thought we needed to manufacture And we took out a ridiculously high interest, like, you know, you can get these like loans from, you know, QuickBooks or Shopify, like there's all these different ones. And I don't remember which one we actually had originally, but we did one of those interest rate was ridiculous. It wasn't as high as a credit card, but it definitely wasn't a bank loan. And it's really all we qualified for because I was doing this all on my own. So, um, well, financially doing it all on my own. So we did that. We manufactured what we needed and we knew what the goal was. So we had like a daily target of what we needed to hit and we superseded that. So we passed our test test implementations with flying colors. They put us on their Costco success stories, like internal memo um, meeting kind of things. And they were like, you know, this is great. We're going to put you on a 24 store deal for every Costco in your region. So for us, that was every Costco in Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. So we were super excited. I really thought like, check, figured this out. Like I'm going to be able to just like be a mom and not really like worry about it. Well, fun story. So then we start manufacturing and we use the rest of the money from that loan to manufacture multiple pallets. I think, I think we were going for eight and we had our plane tickets and we were like literally going to Houston and Dallas. Like we were days away from leaving and starting the first three stores because it was, it was like a it was like a progressive situation. So you're going to go there, you're going to set them up and then go the next one. Yeah. Kind of thing. And you, okay. opening weekend is always demos. So like we, we were prepared, we were ready. Our team was so excited. So I'm in Charleston, I'm doing an event. Um, I was at Charleston food and wine. So my Costco buyer set calls and says, I'm so sorry to do this to you, but, and this was on March 8th. So it was right before the shutdown, but like things were starting to get weird and people were starting to wonder what was going to happen. So the deal was that they needed to temporarily halt our our supplier diversity deal because they literally needed my pallet spaces to stock more toilet paper because everyone was freaking out about toilet paper. 
no shit that really happened. So pun then intended. pun intended. So then I had manufactured all this inventory. I had this loan and I had no way to sell it. And we were not a high volume business because all of our stuff is very well-sourced and expensive. And this was our first foray into this. So then I'm sitting on all this inventory and I have no idea what to do. So then, you know, the shutdowns come, then we lose all of our bar and restaurant partners across the country, because at this point, you know, we're working with a lot of, you know, very well-known bars and restaurants in Chicago and New York and LA and, you know, Portland all over, they're all closed. So I'm thinking we're going to have to file for bankruptcy. I mean, I'm cruising bankruptcy websites and also school was canceled. So my one-year-old is like clinging to me for dear life and it was terrible. So then I figured out pretty quickly that our internet traffic had 10 X itself and everybody was searching for recipes. So I spent every minute I possibly could putting as much content and as many recipes on our blog that were attached and linked back to the actual ingredients from our website. And our sales went up 882%. If you look at April, 2020 over April, 2019, and we were able to sell through all of that Costco inventory through our website because I had stuck to my guns about not wanting to do a Kirkland branded product. And I wanted to do El Guapo like in the store and it was all fair game because it was our brand. So we sold through all that of that. That was online. a cheaper product, right? More like consumer friendly, right? The exactly. Okay. And it was all mixers so that there was a five, um, five recipe mixers line that we had created. So we had a salted Paloma, which is like grapefruit and ginger. And, you know, we had a hurricane recipe that we developed with hibiscus and passion fruit. Uh, so, you know, just different, different flavors, but easy. to I drink. Love, I love the pandemic because of the reason that the real entrepreneurs, and, and this is a general statement. So, you know, I know a lot of people um, experience pain and some heavy stuff during that time. And we are all, we all were stressed, but I also got to see, a lot of businesses, even in Kansas City, that pivoted and that like their entrepreneurial side came back to life, you know, and they were just, um, you know, making it happen, um, you know, and being like, instead of just like, oh, my God, what's going on, um, you know, still looking for a way to pivot. And some of the best opportunities came out of that. Like we have Absolutely. A, we have a brand right now we work with. Um, give them a little shout out, a bar above. They're an amazing team, husband, wife team, and and plus some that just crush it. And they um, they do at home. They're like more of like um, bar accessories at home, high end. So premium nice. bar accessories for the bartender at home. And so that recipe thing, like people are not going to bars and stuff anymore. So they're having their date nights at home. And they're and the same reason they would buy your items is the same reason they would buy a bar above was like, okay, so we're not going there. I'm going to learn how to make drinks myself, I guess. Right. And like, you know, okay, let's do this at home. Um, so, you know, just like, Love just that. a cool change and a cool, like something, something positive to find out of it, but was like, okay, let's switch. What's the new opportunity. Um, that so was amazing. It, and if you hadn't done the Costco brand, you wouldn't have been ready. I don't think the consumers right. would have bought the same item. So I call it business whiplash because it was like, I thought I had it all figured out. And then there's a giant car accident, which is COVID. And then I'm like, well, actually, I'm going to survive and get out of this car. And we're going to like go to this other thing. So the ironic part of it was that it was so successful that we ended up having to hire all of our out of work friends that worked in the beverage and food and hospitality industry to help us bottle as many bottles as possible because we literally couldn't keep up. So we have, I'm friends with Mason from Turkey and the Wolf and we had his, you know, his sous chef and then his other, uh, his other sous chef from Molly's Rise and Shine. 
both working for us, helping us try to figure this out. I mean, we have so many packages going out and trying to make the the change. Like we really hadn't put very much focus into um, e-commerce before this. I mean, we had a website and we had it set up, but 30% of our business was this Amazon website and the other 70% was wholesale and distribution. And at the height of the pandemic, when the sales were going crazy, 92% of our sales were e-commerce. So it wasn't just a shift in volume. It was also a shift of, we're not shipping by the case or by the pallet. We're shipping by the individual unit and trying to figure out the shipping and the packaging and logistics and not break stuff and not kill each other um, in the middle of a lot of stress was really hard. But I'm yeah, so proud of our team. Just so you know, people pay thousands of dollars for yeah. that type of advice and strategy. I mean, we, you know, we might help a transition go from that wholesale brick and mortar type of model at manufacturer. We work with a lot of manufacturers that are going direct with their brands now on Amazon or wherever. Yeah. And that model of it's just people don't understand it because they're like, well, they've been in business so long. Well, going from where you get paid up front for your product yep. and then you ship it out versus getting paid for each individual order, but you're holding the items, you don't, or you send them into Amazon, yeah. you don't get paid until they actually sell. And just understanding and shifting and moving to that kind of model or a hybrid model is is a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of strategy, um, a lot of tweaking, you know, and optimizing the process. And, um, you know, we did it with a hundred plus year old company here in Kansas City. Um, with faultless brands. And you can imagine if they've had process and systems in place for a hundred years of business, um, getting them to adapt the way they've done things to a direct consumer uh, or like, you know, you're, you're packing four packs for Amazon when you've usually packed pallets. They literally didn't have the labor the, or the process yeah. or even the tables. They have massive process warehouses and didn't have the ability to do this. So um, what you guys did on the fly um, is is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yep. So that was hard. And I mean, looking back on it, I think it's, it's pretty incredible, but in the moment it is like that stick to of just being an entrepreneur because you know, you can figure it out and you actually, your eyeballs are on fire. You don't even have the time to stop and really think about what's happening. You just know you have to figure it out. And it's a lot of long hours and it was really hard with a one-year-old. Um, but you know, I wouldn't change our experience because it just taught us so much and it put us light years ahead of where we were before the pandemic, not just with revenue, but with operations and being able to build the team and learning what our opportunities truly were, what our strengths and weaknesses were. It just helped us in so many ways. So ultimately we tripled our revenue in 2020 after a very rough and chaotic spring because it, I mean, it was, it was truly like a complete pause in revenue and then the largest jump in yep. revenue in company history. So, stick. Yep. Yep. so we tripled our revenue in 2020 and then we knew like just looking at our numbers and what was happening that we were going to have to spend 2021 just making a plan. So I went through a, an accelerator and I really worked hard on building mentor relationships on the business. Was it, was it one there in New Orleans? It was, it was the idea village village X program. And okay. I also went through the Tory Birch foundation fellowship program during COVID. And that was a real lifeline for me. And if you're, if there are any female entrepreneurs listening, I highly recommend applying for the Tory Birch fellowship. It's one of the most transformative experiences that I've had as a female entrepreneur. And it's such a great network of women. I love, love, love it. Yay, Tori. Thank you so much. Um, so I did that. And then I did the idea of village village X program. And I walked away from that with an incredible mentor. He's now my second largest investor and he created 
the largest, it's like Amazon for barbecue grills, but it's the largest purveyor of barbecue grills and equipment on the internet. And it's called Barbecue Guys and it's based in Baton Rouge. And his extensive knowledge of logistics and operations and building warehouses and the ecosystem that kind of goes into making all this work on the back end was invaluable to me. And he's an incredible mentor. So with his encouragement and then raising my seed, my seed series, which we announced in December, I raised about, well, it was almost 1.2 million when it was all said and done, but raised a bunch of money, found a building and we're 50% operational in our new facility, but it's almost 12 times larger than where I was pre COVID. So you know, I'm building my third facility in five years. I'm thinking bigger than I ever thought before, but a lot of what's going on behind the scenes at El Guapo is truly all the credit to the mentors and the people in my network. And that really goes back to relationships and people want to see you be successful and they want to see you build bigger and stronger. And it's scary to put that much money out and to really double down on your dreams. But if you're strategic about it and you have the right mindset going into it and you can be really disciplined about how you scale in that way, it can be really successful. So, you know, that's really where I'm at right now is building this massive facility out. I love it. And um, I'm just happy to have met you, Krista. Uh, I think we're going to stay connected after this. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how, but I feel like it's just bound to happen. And um, I just love the entrepreneurs. Yes. Okay. Deal. And I'm coming to New Orleans, I'm sure. Um, one of these, I'm going to see your brand now. It's like one of those things. Once you see it, you like, you know, you know, you just see it and going through a lot of the same things at the same time, uh, being in an agency pandemic, the pauses, the hockey stick, you know, you're just adjusting as you can pivoting, dreaming bigger than you ever have. Um, you know, we're acquiring brands and getting equity in brands and exiting brands and doing all the things that you're just like, wow, okay, this isn't any, anything I had ever imagined. Um, I was just a nerd, you know, like playing video games. So, uh, you know, things just change and grow and it's, it's like so fun. And, and, um, I think there's something about entrepreneurial, there's a spirit, there's absolutely a spirit. Oh, of sure. And, for um, sure. you can, you feel it when you meet other ones, uh, you know, and I, that's why I love the show. I think that's why we have such a great listenership is, um, just getting to hear people tell their stories and almost there's so many things that are in common, uh, with entrepreneurs that have created something out of nothing, um, that is almost contagious. So, um, I'm super excited. I know we're coming up on our, we're coming up on a hard stop for our episode, but what's one thing as we're just closing up, uh, what's one thing you would, you would say or leave with any like potential, uh, male or female entrepreneurs that are looking to, um, you know, chase that dream. You know, believe in yourself and always follow that inner spirit. I feel like most of the decisions that I've made that I regret or like wish, look back on and would have done differently. It's when I didn't go with my gut. So Mm. listen, believe in your ideas and have conviction and like go in the direction that your heart is telling you to go in because there is something to that. I love that. And I'm, um, I'm going to piggyback on top of that. So like with a little bit of transparency, but for me, um, I started my business after a heartbreak. Um, and I just like went all in on e-commerce cause I was just like, had nothing that was what was working for me. And, um, so a lot of the emotional stuff, I just like put it in a box and redirected it toward business and like grind, grind, grind. And like that worked for me to get through time. Um, now later in life, I'm working out all of those things, you know, it's been eight year journey or so. So not since then, but like working through those things, um, it's something where I'm tapping more into my gut 
than even at yeah. the beginning um, because it was something that I, that gut instinct, I would almost resist it because it had gotten me in bad situations before, right? Uh, at least like emotionally and relationally. So now it's something that I'm working on almost like EQ wise. That's something that I, as a business leader, am working on EQ wise is like, how do I, what are all the things I can do to get more in tune with my gut? Um, cause I, it is right. You are right. Like if you just trust your gut and it's the times that I didn't, that I really feel like if I have regret, which isn't really the thing I have, it would be those times where I didn't listen. So 100% agree with that. It's something I'm putting a lot of work into, like, just like, how do I make my gut even more, even more sensitive, even more in tune, even more dialed in so that I can make better decisions because the point of being an entrepreneur or, or a business leader, uh, is about decision making, right? And and trying to make as many good decisions as you can. As possible. So yeah. we're twins because the same thing happened to me and I started my business from that same low point, but that's a whole other podcast episode of what happened. Episode but, number two. <laughs> but um exactly. I rechanneled my energy and I really, you know, kind of used this business as a way to restart and rebuild my life on my own and on my own terms. And thankfully, um, it went well. So here See, we are. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, this is meant to be. Well, this has been amazing having you on the show and sharing your story. Um, I could have just kept digging in, digging into that, uh, I think, for the rest of the afternoon. But thanks again to our listeners for for your attention today. Thanks again to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. If you're looking to build a software team quickly, affordably, Fullscale.io is a great place to start. Uh, Chris, I know this won't be the last uh, that we hear from you, and we will keep following your brand. I'll put all of her uh, information, website, uh, all in the show notes. So anyone that's driving um, you know, in their car, listening to the podcast, whatever, you'll be able to find where you can connect with Krista. Um, this is awesome. We'll see you next time, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>